Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me over to 1 Peter, the second chapter. Uh, I want to talk a little bit this morning uh, about a few things. I knew uh, a few weeks back, as soon as we knew that uh, Pastor was going to have this surgery and, and uh, um, uh, said that I would be ministering right away, I knew what, what the Lord had me to, to talk on. And so we're going to get into this this morning. But I just want to remind you, I need your help today. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's always helpful when you have folks out there that are awake and alert and receptive of what God is saying. Amen. And uh, people who are paying attention and hearing what God would say to them. Amen. How you know, uh, it's so important what we do on both sides of the transaction here. On both sides are important. So just uh, thank you for your help this morning. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, in the ninth verse, it says, but uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called him or called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light, who once were a people, who, were, who, were, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And uh, so the scripture here says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. How many know God's got some good things to say about you? The Bible's got a lot of great things to say about, the, about us. And the next part here says his own special people. You know, you are, you are special. You are special to God. And, and that's a, that is a truth that, that we need to know, uh, one that we need to be aware of. The Bible talks about being rooted and grounded in love, really our foundation of life, our Christian walk, of our, of our, of our encounter, our experience with God is based upon God's love for us his view of us and how he, how he sees us. And it says here that we're his special people. And I don't know about you, but that, uh, that encourages me to know that I'm special to God. I remember Jerry Savelle wrote something a long time ago and I've always stuck in my head. He said, you're someone special to God. I wrote this article about it and, and that title's always stood out to me. You're someone special to God. I mean, no, a lot of people don't know that about themselves. A lot of people don't live in, in, in an awareness of how special they are to God, how much God, uh, uh, how, how much he thinks of them. But you're special this morning. I want you to look at somebody tell them you're special. Get some participation here. Say like you mean it this morning. Tell somebody you're special. I was waiting for somebody to tell me and finally cue. I was waiting. I was going to keep doing this until somebody said, looked at me and said, you're special. Everybody's, everybody's ignoring the preacher up here. But Q said, you're special, Pastor Greg. So I appreciate it. You're special too. No, we're special. And, and you know, that's something that... Uh, uh, Obviously, you know, it, it uh, warms our hearts. Really, our, our culture today has made a lot about the specialness of people just in general. But in God's eyes, when God calls something special, you know it's special. And we are his own special people. You know, I'm thinking about uh, uh, what David wrote in Psalms, the 8th chapter. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, he said, and all that you have, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would visit him for you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. What a wonderful message. 
When you consider everything that's out there, everything that we see around us, I, I'm, I'm a stargazer. I love to go out at night. You know, I live in a neighborhood where, thank God, we don't have street lights where we are, but it's kind of spread out. And I love to go out and look at, at night and pray at night outside and just look outside. And, and um, now that we're getting closer to winter, I don't have to worry, worry about the bugs biting me at night, but uh, I don't, I'm not thankful for them. But when I look outside I, in the winter, I'm thankful for everything that I see. And, and you see all this and you realize that we're looking at this in amazement, but God looks at us with that same glory, with that same respect, with that same love, he looks at us with that admiration. And so, you know, the angels, they don't understand us. They don't understand who we are. They don't understand this creation with uh, all the stuff they see that goes on. They wonder, what in the world? What is going on, God? We're not going to question your, your, who you are and what you know, but these folks are a mess. Why do you love them so much, you know? How many know the angels sometimes are probably wondered some of those things? What is going on down there? But you've made them higher than us. You, you've given them more authority than us. Who are these people? That's how God views us. God sees us as special. We're his own special people, amen? But, you know, that's one side of the message. That's one side of the truth. You know, pastor oftentimes will talk about one side of the mountain. He'll give, a, he'll give an example of, you know, if you're climbing a mountain, it looks on one side, one, looks one direction from one side and... If you're going to climb it from the other side, it looks something like something else in the other. I always like to think of Mount Everest. Mount Everest is something that I, for some crazy reason, I've always had this dream that I'd love to climb Mount Everest. I've got a friend of mine that's planning to go to base camp. He's wanting me to go, and I don't know if I should. Stephen is saying no. But anyway, uh, it just, just, it's just there. Why not climb it? Well, you know, I've, I've watched all these shows and did all this studying about how to get up there. Well, if you're going to get your directions from the north side of the mountain, I mean, if you try to climb the south side of Mount Everest with the north side's directions, you're going to be in a mess. And, and, and that can cost you your life by doing it that way. Just because it looks one way from one side doesn't mean on the other side it's, it's the same. It's the same mountain, but it's got different aspects to it. Well, you know, God loves us and we're special to God. But how many know there's another side to that? The other side of that is you're not special. Look to somebody, tell them you're not special. Don't look at me, Q. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. All right. You know, it's funny. A uh, uh, pastor has been teaching on uh, Wednesday nights. You know, he's been talking about sanctification. If you've not heard those messages on Wednesday, they've been great, great messages on, on sanctification. And so a couple weeks ago, we went to, uh, we were going to lunch on a Thursday, and my mom was commenting about how good it's been. And telling pastor, you know, maybe you ought to box those up, and maybe we go to California, teach on that or whatever, and and uh, it's just been so good. And dad's like, you know, people, he's like, people don't want to hear about sanctification. You know, I mean, that's not something we want to hear about. And Steve, Steve joked, I'll give Steve the credit. He spoke up. He said, yeah, he said, you probably don't ha- have too many sanctif- sanctification conferences going on. You know, sanctification 2020 is probably not a headliner, you know. And uh, this, this, this morning, you're not special. is probably not a headliner conference either. Everybody likes the you're special conference, but the you're not special conference, probably not a whole lot of people would sign up for that. But how many know that's true? You know, when a pastor and Pastor Andrew, you know, told me that he was having this surgery and, uh, and I'd be ministering just as clear as it could be on the inside. The Lord spoke that, said, you're not special. And I'm hoping he wasn't just saying that to me, but, but I knew that he was, it's for us today. It's for us this morning. The fact that yes, we are special to God. But on the same hand and equal hand, we're not special. 
And it's a very important truth that, that we understand. You know, like I said, our culture today wants to make everybody special. And everybody gets, everybody, everybody's, every, every number of what you do, it's good, it's special, it's great. Everybody gets a participation trophy and, and everybody gets you know, all the special accolades. All that stuff goes on. How many know that, that, that there is truth that you're special and everybody's special, but there's also truth that you're not special at all? There's also a very real truth that we're not unique at all. Just stand in line somewhere and see how that your I'm special uh, attitude goes, right? When somebody else walks up and I'm more special. No, no, no. You ain't special, brother. I'm standing in this line. You can go stand in the line. You know what I'm talking about, right? Suddenly our moment of being special, we realize, okay, not everybody's special, including the person who's trying to cut in front of me. Well, when it comes to the things of God, we have to understand, yes, God looks at us as special, but... At the same point, we're not special. And so there's two specific areas that the Lord laid on my heart uh, for us to talk about this morning. And, and uh, these are two things that I believe people struggle with a lot. You know, in the body of Christ, uh, we need good balance teaching on some things. And we need to do things the right way and things need to be presented the right way. Because if we don't believe right, if we don't hear right, then we can't believe right, then we can't live right, right? That's a lot of rights, but it's all true. And, and it's important that we're sticklers for what God has to say about things and look at things properly. Go with me over to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. The uh, first uh, area that I believe the Lord laid on my heart to talk about this morning is that your sin isn't greater than his sacrifice. Your sin isn't greater than his sacrifice. You are not a special case. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. That's such an important truth. How I many know there are, there are pulpits all over America today that that's not how they present things? That's not what they say. That's not how they present it. Listen, it's the good news, not the bad news. It's the, it's the good news, not the depressing news. The good news is your sin is not bigger than his sacrifice. It says here in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the 17th verse, it says, Therefore, now Q always likes to tell the teenagers next door all the things that are my favorite scriptures, and he almost never gets it right, but this is one of them. Because this is a scripture about identity. This is one that gives us, gives, should be a source of identity in our life. What is identity is, is how we see ourselves, how we approach God, how we approach life, how we look at things, right? How I many know our identity is not wrapped up in what we have or what we own or what job we have? Or, you know, if you go back to high school reunions, you know, which my class doesn't seem to like to see each other. But anyway, the one we did have that all five of us have showed up, you know. Uh, so what are you doing? You know, what, what's, your, what's your thing? What do you do? How I many know that's not our identity and what our career is? Right? But people are looking for all kinds of things that tell them who they are. Well, this tells us right here. What we are says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation Old things have become, uh, have, have passed away. All things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the message of reconciliation. It says old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He said, he said that all things are of God who reconciled us through him, to himself through Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you, your past is in the past. And I say this, you know, and I know at our church we get good teaching and, and it's not something that maybe a lot of people struggle with, uh, but I've seen it enough, I've counseled enough people even here that people hold on to things that happened yesterday, things that they did, and it keeps them out of what God has for them today. Listen, your mistakes, your failures, the things that you've fallen short on, you're not special. 
the blood of Jesus covered those things as well. There's nothing unique about what you did that causes you to miss out on what God has done for you. But, you know, pulpits all over America have this presentation that, you know, that we're just sinners saved by grace, you know. And, yeah, you were a sinner saved by grace, but you're not a sinner anymore. If you've accepted Jesus, the person that was doesn't exist. How many know that, that if the church would present the truth instead of a condemning, oh, you old dirty doll, you low down thing, you know, if they would quit presenting that and present the fact that, listen, God has reconciled you to himself. He became sin for you. If we would present that to the world, if we would live our lives that way and approach God that from that sense, from that standpoint, it would change everything. The bad news, people know that they have problems. The bad news never convinced anyone to get it straight. Now, there's a side of it when you preach hell and, and judgment and these things. How many know, you know, something the Lord said to me uh, not that long ago. I was praying about something. And uh, he said, you know, and, I, and he said, I'm just as serious about judgment as I am about grace. Think about that for a minute. He said, I'm just as serious about judgment and justice as I am about grace and mercy. You know, we live in a day of grace. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I am grateful that whenever I get out of line, that God doesn't have a big fly swatter in heaven, right? And that as soon as I get out of line, he squashes me and hits me over the head with it like whack-a-mole. You know, we all know our lives, God would be busy, right? You know, whack-a-mole and everybody. And he's not looking for these opportunities to do this. And so he extends mercy. He extends grace to us. And so I am thankful God is committed to grace and mercy. The Bible says we're living in a day of grace. I mean, this is, we're living in a period where God is being merciful, but how many know that, that, that if you look in the Bible, there wasn't always times of grace and mercy. Just ask the folks of Sodom and Gomorrah. There wasn't always a time of mercy. There was a time of judgment. Well, he is withholding judgment. And the good news is he says, if we'll judge ourselves, we won't be judged, right? And, and so if he's giving us this opportunity today to make these decisions for ourselves, but the day of judgment is coming and that's a reality that we have to, we can't hide from. It's it's a reality we can't hide from. It's something that we shouldn't be afraid to talk about. Now, the fact is we do live in a day of grace, so we should, we should, we should exalt that and we should, we should present that because that's what God is doing with us right now. He's giving us an opportunity to judge ourselves. That's grace and mercy in action. And so he is allowing us to do that. But there's another side to that as well. God is just as interested and just as 100% merciful or just, just as he is merciful. And so it's something we need to be aware of, but thank God we live in a day of grace and it's important that we present this message and we're not quiet about it, that we're not, we're, we don't present a judgmental gospel. Now I didn't say a permissive gospel, a, but not a judgment of gospel, judgment of judgment of gospel. Amen. There's a difference between that too. Sometimes people take it too far and then because permissive, everything's okay. Well, it's still, there's still things we have to do. There's still things that we've got to abide by. You know, God's, God is not holding our sin against us, but you know, it's important that we're not living in sin. Pastor's been talking about sanctification on Wednesday nights. What we do with our lives is important. That, that how we present ourselves is important. But if, if, we're, if we're endeavoring to live right, if we're endeavoring to move forward, and when we find things, we, we ask God to forgive us, we put those things under the blood, God is faithful to do that. There's been so much bad teaching on this line. But, you know, we need to leave the past in the past. You know, I was thinking about uh, Paul, different people in the Bible, different examples in the Bible of different ones. Paul was a murderer. Paul's, Paul's past was, was probably worse than anybody's past in here. I hope. 
If that's not the case, don't let me know. But anyway, he was a murderer, and, and yet God used him. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. God used him in, my, in a mighty way. The revelation for the church age was given to Paul to somebody whose past was horrible. Now, once he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he, he, he endeavored to press on. He said, not that I've obtained or I'm perfected, but, but I'm pushing towards the mark. He said, I'm not perfect yet, but I'm pushing towards that goal. That's the heart of someone who's not just wanting to sin. You know, the modern grace message, I like to call it the modern forgiveness message, has really caused a lot of problems in the church. You guys, we all have to be on guard with that. We all have to really stand our ground where the modern, uh, that this teaching is concerned. That it's okay, God, God is merciful. Yeah, he is, but we still need to be careful about it. It's affected a lot of things about how we view things. You mean one ditch or the other. I'm just a worm, I'm a nobody, or God's okay with whatever I do. There is a middle road that we need to keep, right? There's a place in the middle. Paul had a lot of issues. God still used him. David uh, started good, didn't, had some trouble in the middle, lots of trouble in the middle, ended well. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Even when he failed, he was a man after God's own heart. I was thinking about Rahab, Rahab in the Bible. You know, Rahab, she was, she was Rahab the harlot. I almost feel bad even calling her that at this point because in James, it says that she was justified. Talking about our works, adding our works to her faith. Rahab was justified by her works. Hebrews 11 talks about Rahab that, that uh, she's listed in the hall of faith as someone that by faith she was saved. This, is a, this was a woman who didn't have a good reputation and yet her, her past, her failures, her mistakes didn't, didn't mark her. It, her, her it, wasn't, it wasn't more than the grace of God then. It's not more than the grace of God now. And in fact, you know, if you look at Rahab, many, you may not know this, but Rahab is actually listed in the genealogy of Jesus. She married, I believe, Boaz, right? Had uh, different ones. I think three or four generations later, there was King David. So Rahab, the harlot, is the great, 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 great grandmother of King David, I mean, think about that. That is amazing. Well, you know, my, my, you don't understand what, what really what I've done. Can God really use me? He absolutely can. He used Rahab the heart. Like I said, I feel bad even calling her that because I don't know what her name is now. I'll just, we'll just call her Rahab, right? Rahab, she, she's in a place of honor for what she did, for the decisions that she made. She was justified because of those things that she did, the trust she had. You know, look over with me to Judges, the 16th chapter. We've got to move on, but I want to look at this Judges chapter 16. And this is the, the account of Samson. You know, the account of Samson is he had long hair and it was his source of strength. And of course, he was messing around with Delilah. And how uh, I many know who we keep company with matters? Amen. Who we keep company with matters. And so uh, she, had a, she had an ulterior motive with, with uh, old Samson. And in Judges 16, the 20th verse, Said, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. This is Judges 16, 20. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. This is after she had tried multiple times. You think old Samson would have woken up after the first time she tried to do him in, right? Tried, tried, to, uh, tried to trick him. But Samson, Samson was, was trusting in himself more than he should have, right? She said, they're upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put his eyes out and brought him down to Gaza. Gaza. They bound him with bronze bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. So she cut his hair. It was his source of power in his life. It's the anointing that was upon his life. She lost that. The Spirit of the Lord departed from him. Samson was in the worst spot possible. 
Samson was in the worst spot possible. He went from hero to zero. He went from the defender of the Israelites to the one that was the reason for their downfall at this point. He was put in slavery, put on the grinder. He was put behind a mill. His life basically, I mean, God, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. I don't ever want that to be said about me, that the spirit of the Lord departed from me, right? But we, like I said, we live in a day of grace. And when we confess these things, when we make these things right, before God, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us. And so obviously something happened here during this time when he was in bondage, when he was being used at the grinder, when he was walking around and, 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 and was in captivity there. The Bible goes on to say in the 22nd verse, it said, however, the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaven. The hair on his head began to grow after it had been sh- shaven. Listen, the reality is you're not special. And if we'll put our trust in what Jesus has done for us, our hair will begin to grow. The thing, the source of of, of power in our life, the thing that has given us uh, the anointing upon our life, God's grace upon our life, those things will begin to grow. His hair began to grow, and it wasn't immediately, but the time came whenever he was in a position to once again deliver the children of Israel. Why? Because your mess is not greater than the sacrifice Jesus has made. And this is important that we know that I can't tell you how many people struggle, 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 struggle because their identity is wrapped up, their, their view of themselves. This is not a positive message. It is positive. This is the truth of the word. We need to see this correctly that we, our sin is not bigger than his sacrifice. So many people miss out on this. So many people miss out on what God wants to do in them, through them, for them, because they can't keep their eyes off what they've done, and they can't keep their eyes on what Jesus has done. Look at somebody tell them you're not special this morning. That was about half of you. Help me out. Somebody tell somebody you're not special, but other than me. So we're not special because we know that his sacrifice is greater than our sin. But the second area we know that we're not special in is that our life is not our own. And I know this is something that uh, uh, has been a continual theme in my own personal life and, and, uh, uh, and just the way the Lord has been directing me in different areas. And, and I believe this year of 2020 has been a, re- a year for us to realign some things. But how many know our life is not our own? How many know this is not a truth that's being preached in many churches today? I so said this is not a truth that's being preached in many churches today, but it is the truth Our life is not our own. We're not special. Our life does not belong to us. Go with me over to, um, uh, back to 1 Peter, the second chapter. 1 Peter chapter 2. We started off with that. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special, his own special people. It says that, so you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are a people of God. Who have obtained mercy, but not, but who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The Young's literal translation of that, and I love this. It says, "Ye, how many love the ye's in the Bible? Ye are a chosen race, race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people acquired." So the New King or the King James, New King James says his own special people, and that's true. But the Young's literal says an acquired people, a people acquired. The Amplified of that says God's own purchased special people. 
God's own purchase special people. When something is purchased, it's no longer, it's, it no longer belongs to somebody else. When something is bought, it's the, it belongs to the person who bought them. And the reality is we're not special. Our, 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 our ideas, our thoughts, our ways, our, our, our attitudes toward things do not override the fact that we were bought by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And, and uh, I mentioned Paul earlier. Go with me back to First um, uh, Corinthians, rather. We'll go back. Go to First Corinthians. And um, this is in the First Corinthians chapter six, the nineteenth verse. This was Paul writing here. This is uh, uh, in in face of all of his issues he had had before he met Jesus. He was pressing on, and this is what he wrote here in First Corinthians six, chapter verse nineteen. He says, "Do you not know that your body is the temple?" of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought, were, were bought at a price, therefore glorified God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Go over to Galatians, the second chapter, Galatians chapter 2. Wonderful verse here. Galatians 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What a powerful truth. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I will say this. Anybody who does something significant for the kingdom of God lives with this kind of attitude. They live with this kind of perspective. They live with this revelation in their life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He said, the life which I now live in the flesh, the life that I live, the choices that I make, he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a truth we need to understand better. I said, this is a truth we need to understand better. This is a truth we need revelation on, that in this area, we're not special. We are not our own. We were bought with a price and the person who was there is no longer there. In the life we live, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. It's revelation until we see it and understand it. How can we really walk it out? But I'm telling you, it is the secret or one of the secrets to a successful Christian life in accomplishing the will of God in our life and the will of God for the earth today is us living with this revelation that, listen, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Like I said, I know it's not something that, that gets taught a lot because people like to have freedom to do what they want. Can I tell you, this is the most freeing message and most freeing topic that there is in the Bible. This is so freeing to know that, listen, I can live free because it's not my life anymore. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm making this decision to lay my life down. I can live free from the things that have hung up humanity for generations. I can live free from this. I can live a life that's well-pleasing to God. You have to understand it comes from a, a, a basic understanding of the fact that it's no longer us any longer. We've been bought with a price. Jesus has paid for us, amen? Proverbs chapter uh, uh, 14. I want you to look at this. Proverbs chapter 14. We're going to look at the 12th verse. The, the word that's been uh, uh, used a lot this year is pandemic. I believe this is a spiritual pandemic in the church. And I think this goes a lot, goes back to the, to, to the teaching of the grace message or the, or the extreme forgiveness message. Now, human nature has always leaned this way in, 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 in this way that of looking at things the wrong way, that I'm a special case and, and it, you know, I can really do what I want to do kind of a thing. 
But the grace message, extreme grace message, extreme forgiveness message has really given fuel to that. And it's become a real problem in the church. That's something we've got to be aware of. But in Proverbs chapter 14, in the 12th verse, it says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man. Have you ever been on a trip, done something, and you were going a direction and it seemed right to you? There's, there, you can have different, how many husbands and wives have been out and, and the husband or, or whoever's given directions and it seems right that we go this way. And it's not the right way at all. You know, when something seems right to you, you're convinced that it's right. You know, when Pastor and I, when we go to uh, uh, Africa every year, you know, we, we, we go to these different countries, whether it be Zambia, Zimbabwe, different places in, in Southern Africa. Uh, you know, we, the hotel we stay at is generally in an area. It's always, thank God, in an area that has electricity. But we're in areas that don't have electricity all the time. We stay in a hotel that has usually has got uh, some things around it. You know, it's maybe where uh, some of the government offices are in that area. They've got electricity, have running water. Thank God for electricity and running water. But oftentimes the crusade sites are held out in the outskirts of the towns in these, uh, these areas. And, and I know some of you have seen the videos we put up as we're, we're driving along. And, and when you leave that area right around the hotel, everything looks the same. Everything looks the same. You can't tell the difference. They're, I know Jackie knows what I'm talking about. You know, they're, they're dirt roads in every direction. They're, you know, one building looks just like the next building. Every now and then you'll have a, 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 a landmark or something that kind of stands out. But until you find that landmark, everything else looks the same. Everything around the landmark it looks the same when you lose the view of that landmark, whether it's a big tree or, or some particular building. When you leave that area, we're back to everything looking the same. And so when we're driving to these crusade sites, I've got a thing. I don't know what it is. I just, I just like to do this, uh, that I'm always looking how we're going, how we're going there. And I try to learn our path. I try to learn the direction we go to get there. And, and I guess part of my logic has been, you know, if something ever happens and our truck breaks down, oh, man of faith that I am, right? If our truck breaks down, you know, I want to know how to get back to the hotel, because being lost out here would not be good for us. And so I want to make sure I know how to get back to where we're staying and how to get where we are. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of mapping it in my mind. And, and, uh, and generally speaking, after a couple trips, I have a general idea of where we're at. Well, one year, you know, they kept taking a different route. And I finally, I told, you know, Pastor Mavanda, I said, you got to take the same route because you are confusing me. I thought I had this figured out and now you're going a different way. Just go the same way every time. But a lot of times we're going, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm anticipating our turns. I'm, okay, we're going to go up here, and I recognize that. We're going to turn right at that, that alley. We're going to turn right there, and then we're going to, that, that, that you know, uh, uh, SIM card store. We're going to, you know, a little SIM card store. They have a hut SIM card store. We're going to turn left at that thing, and, and we're going to go over here. And it seems right to me. And if I were driving, I'm convinced I would take that, I would take that turn. I would move that direction. It seems right, and I am convinced that's right. There's been times I, I've got it now. I was wrong yesterday, but I've got it today. I recognize that one right there. We are turning right there, and we go right on by it. And I'm like, hey, I've even, I've even spoken up. For, hey, you missed our turn. And he's looking at me. You are crazy. You are, we are not going over there. We're going to the crusade site. So I, it seems right to me. But just because something seems right, you can be conv- convinced that it's right, but it could be wrong. It could be completely wrong. And when we're over there, the fact that I think 100% I'm convinced I'm right, if I take those turns, we could end up somewhere we don't want to be and could even possibly put us in danger. Well, the scripture says here, it says there is a way that seems right to a man. When the Bible says something like this, we have to take this to heart. The culture that we live in and the, and the, and the predispositions we have to looking at things can seem right 
And I'm not saying everything is wrong, but there are a lot of things that seem right, but they're not right. There are a lot of things that look good and there's reasons for it. There's justification for it. It makes sense. You know, one of the things I heard, you know, uh, uh, about the whole what's going on in our election system right now, somebody had made this statement. One of the states, I believe it was Pennsylvania, and, and uh, you know, they had altered the, the, uh, the election rules just a couple days before the election. And, and uh, on election night, they were talking about this, that, you know, all these ballots now can be brought in uh, after the fact. And, um, and one of the person, people had spoken to him and said, well, you know, the law says that only ballots, only legislators can make cha- changes to the election laws. Only elected officials can make changes. Election offices can't do that. Only elected body can vote and make a change to the election law. Well, the, the local elections offices and the election office in the state had made a decision that we're changing this because of COVID. We're going to change these. That was their justification. And uh, one of the commentators, in fact, all of the commentators were saying, except for this one, were saying, well, that makes sense. That makes sense that you would change this rule. That makes sense. And it would, I guess on the surface, it would make sense because of COVID. If, 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 if you believe there's these problems going on and it's a danger, it would make sense, right, to make these changes. And they're all saying it makes sense. But the one guy kept saying, no, but, but it might make sense, but it's not what the law says. We can look at it and make it and, and, and justify it and seems right to us, but that's not actually what the law says. The law says only elected, uh, only elected bodies can vote on this and make these changes. So any change made other than that is not legal. Well, it can seem right, but not be right. How many know in our lives there's a lot of things that can seem right and seem okay, but not be okay? And I know this is not like a message of people like, woo, I'm, th- I'm so thankful for this, but it's the truth. We need to be aware of these things that try to creep in and affect how we look at things and how we view things because we can be 100% convinced it's okay and seems right, looks right, smells right. It looks right all the way around, but in its end, the scripture here says there's a way that seems right to a man, a man but in the end, it leads to Somewhere, a a, a death in our life, a death of something, right? Something not being the way that it should. I mean, there's no death in Christ. There's no, there's no, there's no down days in Christ. There's no coming short in Christ. There's none of those things, but there are ways that seem right to a man. And if we're not careful, those ways can infiltrate it and we can begin to begin to, uh, uh, the ways of culture and society and even in the church, there are things that, that are done in the body of Christ that are seemed, seen as okay. They seem to be good, but, but they're, not, they're not biblical. They don't line up with what God is saying. Like I said, I believe the grace message, the extreme forgiveness message, extreme grace message has caused a lot of problems because we do live in a, in a day of grace and people's decisions haven't brought anything, nothing bad has happened as a result. Of them. So they think, well, it must be okay. Well, thank God we live in a day of grace, but God is just as equally interested in justice as he is in grace. And so we have to make make sure that we're not looking at life through our own lens, through the things that seem right to us, but we're making sure that we are looking at things through God's perspective. Go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans the 8th chapter. What time is it? 11.42. We've got to hurry. Romans the 8th chapter. This is uh, Paul writing again in the 5th verse. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded 
That doesn't necessarily mean sinfully minded, just fleshly, not God minded, right? For to be carnally minded, I love with Amplified, it says, the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. He said to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Like I said, this is a good message. This is a, a, a freeing message because we get to escape death and get a hold of life and peace. Being spiritually minded causes us to move into all the things that God has provided for us. Even when it doesn't seem like it's the right way, we have to know that it is the right way because what God's word has said is the right way. He said, he said uh, it's life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind, the natural mind, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, is enmity against God. It's opposed to God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We've got to stand against this attitude as though I'm special and my ideas, my opinions, the way I look at things, they, they supersede what the Bible says. They supersede what, what, the, what, the, what, what my pastor might tell me. And I know we've all been there before, haven't we? There are things in God's word that are challenging to us. There are things that are, you can agree with me, there are things that are challenging to us. There are things our flesh just doesn't like. Why? Because we know the Bible tells it's enmity towards God. The flesh resists the things of God. It resists, it resists the will of God. It resists the plan. It doesn't see things or relate to things the same way God sees them. Really, the problem is it relates and sees things on the temporary, the now. It doesn't see and relate to things for the tomorrow and the eternal. It doesn't look at it that way. But there's a lot of things in the Bible that are challenging on our flesh. But the reality is success comes from realizing we're not special and that our opinion doesn't override those things. We need revelation on this. It is freeing to know that you can trust 100% what God has said. It's good news for me. It's freeing to know. It's freeing to give yourself and to end the battle. I think a lot of times that's the biggest problem is we haven't ended the battle once and for all. Paul's declaration in Galatians, he said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. He was making a declaration. He was, and then once again, making the declaration that, listen, it's no longer I who lives. Paul is dead. Paul, his will, his opinion, his attitudes, all of those things is gone. It's no longer Paul who lives, but it's Christ, his will, his attitude, his opinion, his view, his priorities. It's no longer my will. It's no longer Paul that's living, but it's Christ who lives in me. There's something about getting to the place where you crucify your flesh, you put to, to rest once and for all, you bury the old man and the, and the preference of going back to doing it your own way. And it's, as long as we're here, it's something we have to continually do. You know, you can be submitted in one area and not submitted in another. And I know people don't like the word submit, but it's, it's a real word. We can be submitted to God in one area, but not in the other. You can say it this way. We can be pleasing to God in one area and not another. We can qual- be qualified for God's goodness and grace in one area, but not qualified for his goodness in, the, in another area. By, by the blood of Jesus we are, but by our actions we're not. I mean, no, we're not saved by works, but we are, our works have to be added to our faith. We have to live like what we believe. Praise God, this is a good truth. In 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, I just wrote this down. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves. What is humbling yourselves? You're humbling yourself. is putting yourself underneath the charge of someone else. 
is lowering yourself and your own opinion. I'm not special. While I am special, I'm not special. While I am God's own purchased person, I am special. But at the same moment, I'm not special. He said, if you'll humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, why? That he may exalt you in due time. Can I tell you the things that most people are fighting for and striving for and pushing for against the will of God to get, if they'll just submit and say, I'm not special in this area, God will bring it to you. God is not looking to withhold anything from us. In fact, his scripture says he'll give us everything freely. He didn't even spare his own son. He'll give us everything freely. He's not looking to withhold anything from us. But there's something about coming before God from the the standpoint of, while I know I'm your special person, your special people that purchase people, I am purchased and I belong to you. My sin doesn't override what you've done for me, nor does my opinion override what you've said to me. It is freeing. There's so much controversy going on these days. We can live free from those things. Romans chapter 12 in the first verse. We're going to wrap it up here in just a minute. Romans 12 verse 1. How many know when you say that, that doesn't mean a whole lot, but we're going to, we're going to, we'll try to wrap it up. Romans 12, the first verse. Like I said, this is not something that gets spoken a lot from churches, but I believe it's important that, that we hear this. And I know as a church, we know these things. As a church, we know these things. We've been taught well. Thank God. For, you know, my dad has done a great job over all these years teaching us well. We know these truths. But how many know knowing something and living it is two different things? We've got to be reminded of this. In any area that doesn't line up, we've got to do something with it. God's, God's best is too good to miss out on it. Right? In Romans chapter 12, the first verse, I believe pastors read this in recent weeks. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God that you present your bodies. Notice who presents their bodies. We do. Not somebody else that we do. This is something that your pastor can't do for you. This is not something that your your friends can do for you. This is not somebody anybody else can do for you. But it says you present your bodies. A living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable service. I love the Amplified. It says your rational intelligent service. It does make sense. There's a way that seems right to a man. There's also a way that 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 makes sense and seems right to God. He's actually right. And it is reasonable. It is rational. It does make sense. You know, really, if we think about it, when it comes to all these different areas of life, it does really make sense. If we're going to accept what Jesus has done for us and put ourselves under the blood of Christ under the sacrifice that he made, then we've all, it just makes sense, right? It just makes sense. It's kind of like a job. If you're, if you're expecting a paycheck from a job, it makes sense that you do the job they've asked you to do, right? Who, who in here are employers? You, you, you have employees, right? You employ somebody, you're paying them. You, it makes sense, right? That they would actually do what you're paying them to do. You know, I've hired you and I'm going to give, you're going to get a paycheck every week, every two weeks. And what if they were to come to you and say, yeah, I, I like that, and, I, and I'm going to take that paycheck, but you know, the things that you want me to do over here, that doesn't make sense to me, so I don't think I'm going to do that. How many know the next thing that would make sense to you as the employer, it would make sense for you to work somewhere else, right? Well, if we're going to put ourselves under the benefit side of what God has done for us and all that, that, that Christ has made available, it only makes sense that we put ourselves under the stipulations the guidebook, the instructions, it only makes sense. 
And in fact, to not do that doesn't make sense at all. If we, if we pull aside our own personal preference, and really that's what it is. If we, if we pull aside our own fleshly desires, which I've got them, you've got them, we've all got them, right? When we pull those things aside and put that out of the way, it makes 100%, uh, 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 makes 100% sense. It's only when we put in ourselves, what are we doing? We're exalting ourselves. We're saying in this situation, I'm special. We're taking a reality on one side, being his own special people and abusing it in another area. That's really what it is. We are special, but we're not special at the same time. Something that uh, Brother Hagen wrote, and this has been with me, and I've read this numerous times over the years when I ministered, and, and uh, something that has stuck with me over the years. He, he wrote um, uh, in his book, uh, Following God's Plan for Your Life, he wrote, uh, which is the book when it came out, it, it, you know, was, it changed my life. I was a teenager, went, went to Winter Bible with my parents. I was probably in the 11th grade, I'm guessing. And uh, the, the book came out, I think we were staying at the Doubletree downtown, and I remember the book came out that week. They had it at Winter Bible, so I, I got it the first night we were there. And I read, that, I read the book, you know, in between services. I think I read the whole thing, you know, while we were there. And it just it was, for me, it was an important book. It's one of the books that I think is one of his classics, you know. And um, he wrote in the book, he said, uh, he, he made this statement. He said, the greatest need in the church is consecration. The greatest need in the church is consecration. Now, Brother Hagin knew some things. Brother Hagin knew some things. And, and I'll just say this too, you know. We, we don't, we don't, um, we don't worship a man. We're not, we're not, you know, we, we talk about Brother Hagin a lot. We're not worshiping a man, but we are honoring his faith. And I believe the things that the Lord told Brother Hagin, the things that the Lord told Brother Hagin's mother, that this message that he'll have will, will usher in the second return, the, the return of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. It'll, the truths that he will minister. And so I put a lot of weight on the things that he said. Of course, it has to line up with the Bible. Obviously, it has to line up with the Bible. Um, But I put a lot of weight on the things that he said. He said the greatest need in the church is consecration. What does it mean to consecrate? It just means to dedicate, to to dedicate yourself to the service of God, to to set apart, to wholly devote yourself. When you think of holy devotion, what do you mean? It means 100%. It goes back to Paul. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's, It's a once and for all thing. When I I accept Jesus not just as Savior, but I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I mean, you know there's a difference. There's a lot of people that want a Savior but don't want a Lord. But it's a whole, a whole uh, to devote holy. In other words, synonyms we can use for this. I know we love these. To surrender, to submit, to yield, to obey. The four-letter word, Obey. Accept, consent, conform, comply, fulfill, adapt, adjust. Ooh, adjust. To adjust our lives. To adjust our lives. Brother Agony said, if anything is lacking in charismatic circles today, it's a lack of teaching on consecration and sanctification. Consecration and sanctifying yourself to do the will of God is an ongoing process. He goes on to talk about, this seems to be a lack of deep consecration due to God's will among some Christians today. Recently, I was thinking about my experiences, and he talked about all the things that happened in the church over you know, 50 years ago as opposed to what was happening today. He said, the consecration of believers 50 years ago was much greater than today. Believers' reverence and appreciation for the things of God and the move of the Spirit was deeper too. He said, as a result, God honored that depth of consecration and reverence by giving great demonstrations of the Spirit. 
because of a lack of consecration. And a lot of times when people think about it, they think of it in the grand scheme of, of I'm going to do what God's called me to do and grand scheme of obeying God with my life. If he wants me to do this profession, I'll do it. You know, there's another side to that as well. A lot of times people think it's God's will just because they're being blessed. Blessing doesn't necessarily mean God's will. God's will means God's will. You know what I mean by that? Some people are like, well, God must be okay with it. He doesn't bless our plans. He, he blesses his plans. But we do live in a day of grace where the grace of God, the blessing of God is poured out on all of us. But we need not, need not be lulled asleep by that and think that we're doing exactly what he would have us to do. But a lot of times people think, you know, this is, this is on the grand scheme and, and the large scheme. And it's true. But how many know that a real relationship with God, a successful Christian walk, really isn't measured by the big decisions? It's not measured by the big decisions. It's not measured by the big things that you do. Did you, did you take the profession that he called you to do? Or did you stand in the place that he wanted you to, to be in? Did you marry the right person? Did, did you do these things? Which are all important things. But really, the measure of success is in the little details. The small details of life. It's in the small things. Like when it comes to football, you don't win on the big plays. You win on the fundamentals. Right? Well, in life, you win on the fundamentals. The submission, the yielding, the consecration, the the being wholly devoted to him. Like I said, I know this is not something that gets taught a lot in most churches around America, but and we teach it here. But it's something we've got to maintain and keep in front of us, so we've got to keep our attention on Listen, our lives are not our own. We are not special. We are not special. We yes, we are, but no, we're not. I'm not allowed to think what I want to think. I'm not allowed, if, 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 I'm, if I want what Jesus has done for me, if I really want it in my life, if I really want to know him, if I really want to please him, if I really want to, to be in a position where God can, ex- imagine, me, imagine the exaltation that one does for themselves versus the exaltation that God does for somebody. Imagine the way that somebody can, you ever know somebody who's tried to really market themselves and present themselves? I mean, you got to work at that. And you got to continue to maintain and trying to, to, to pump that thing up and, and to push your, your presentation, right? But when God lifts something up, when God exalts somebody, when God promotes somebody, I tell you, there, nothing can be done about that. It's just freedom there. Well, if we want those things, our attitudes, our opinions, our, our how, we, how we do this, how we do that, what we do with our time. Time is our greatest resource that we have. What we do with our time, it's not, we're not special. It's not ours. I said, we're not special. It's not ours. What we do with our money, what we, what we do with our attitude, it's not ours. Oh, Pastor Greg, you know, you're, you're trying to put me in a box, and I'm trying to set you free from the box that the world has put you in. This world system is caught, wants to dumb us down and cause us to live the less than who we are. He wants us to put us under, well, you're being too serious. I'm not being, I'm not being too serious. The Bible said to be fervent in spirit, to, to, to be passionate about these things. But that doesn't make sense. Then we go back to that doesn't make sense. Why be passionate about something that you can't see? Because the fact that you're not passionate about him because you, th- you believe you can't see him is why you don't see him. He's there. This is for our benefit. We are special to God, but at the same point, we are not special. Now, I wouldn't suggest you get out and go to, the, go to work tomorrow and say, hey, everybody, wants you to know you are not special. I wouldn't suggest you do that. But in how we approach life, we've got to know 
that this is reality. We need revelation on this. We need revelation on this. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is in the, uh, the fifth verse. Philippians 2 chapter 5. Like I said, this is something that we need to understand. We need better, we need more revelation on this. I'm thankful that I'm seeing this better every day. I'm thankful that God is showing me this more every single day. I'm thankful because he's setting me up for what he has for me. He's further qualifying me. Not just in position, but in, but in my walk, he's qualifying me. This is part of that, what Paul talked about. Not that I've obtained, but I, I press on. I forget what's behind me, but I press on. This is part of the pressing on process. Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, he said, let this mind be in you. Remember, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery or something to be held on to, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. You know, when we present our ideas and our thoughts to rival his, we're, we're putting ourselves on being equal with God. That's, that's, that's not, probably not a good idea. We can ask Lucifer how that went. <laughs> He said, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond service and coming in the likeness of men. Taking the form of a bond servant. He put himself under subjection to the law of God. He put himself under, under the subjection to the will of God. How many times did he say, it's not my will? How many times, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done? How many times do you tell people, say, listen, the words you hear me say, they're not my words, they're, they're my father's words. What you see me do is not my will, it's the will of the one who sent me. We can live the same way. So we can live the same way. John chapter 5, you, I won't, you won't have to, you know, John chapter 2, rather, you don't have to turn there. Mary gave the best advice. This was the first recorded miracle that Jesus had performed the very first miracle, and this is not vaccine. All the miracles that were recorded, they were specifically recorded. You do realize that, right? The ones that were recorded were specifically recorded. And this is after he had been anointed. The, the, the Spirit of God had come upon him. He had been anointed for his ministry. His first disciples had followed him. Three days after that event, he was at a wedding, and his mom was in charge of the wedding. Mary was in charge of the wedding. Out of oil, you know, didn't have, or rather wine, didn't have wine for the wedding. And so she went to the, to the servants. She said, the, the greatest words... The, the, I believe they're recorded first for our benefit. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. It was in their doing that the miracle happened. It was in their doing, their obedience. When it didn't make sense, there was a way that seemed right to them. Going to the Piggly Wiggly and picking up more wine made more sense than filling these jars with water. That made no sense. But whatever he tells you to do, just do that. Really, that's the answer. That's the answer. Whatever he tells us to do, do that. I mean, how many of you realize that this right here, what he's told us right here, this is irrefutable. This is forever settled. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy on the flesh. But it is absolute truth. Whatever he tells us to do, the victory is in our doing it. The answer is in our doing it. The answer is in our doing it. Praise God. This is good news this morning. You can all stand.
You know, I was um, thinking about this, and uh, I like to look back and look forward at things. I like to look at the past and look at the future to kind of help me determine where I'm at right now, what's going on. I like to look at what's important before, what's important later, to see what, what's important. You know, when you go back to the beginning in Genesis, when it comes to this subject of not being special, you know, not doing things our own way, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm telling you, it's, uh, every area, every area of life, every area of life, you know, I look back and think about Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, they had everything. I mean, it, it was, it was a, it was an incredible place. I, you know, uh, it was, it was a, a precursor to what heaven will look like for us. You know, it was just amazing. Everything they had need of, everything was taken care of. Everything was there. Imagine, imagine living that life, everything. They were created in the image and likeness of God. I mean, they were made just like him. God would come in, in, in person and spend time with them every day. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing, right? Pretty incredible. And so in the midst of they had everything, there was one thing they couldn't do. One thing they couldn't partake of. One thing set right here. Just don't touch that. Just don't mess with that. Just, just don't go there. Everything else is yours. Now, I know I, I've always joked, we get to heaven, you know, there's going to be a long line. People wanting to see Jesus. And then a long line of people wanting to see Adam and Eve because we're all going to rough them up, you know. How did you, why did you do it? We've all been there, right? Had we been in the garden, probably every last one of us in our current state would have done the same very thing. We, we would have taken it. Why? Human nature is the, what, they, what do they call it? The forbidden fruit, right? Everything is mine, just not this one thing. Have all of it is mine. It's all perfect. Just one thing don't touch. Well, right? I mean, you know. Don't do it. Okay. Did you see me? I mean, that, that's human nature. And so there was all this stuff was theirs. There was one thing. And really, now we look at it now, we think, well, that was, that was a huge decision. Like that was a monumental disobedience, right? That was a monumental thing, mistake that they made. But hindsight is 2020. You look back and realize that was a huge deal. Think about there in their, in their, and where they were. It was an apple. That's all it was. It was an apple. Had other fruit they could eat from? It was, an, it was an apple, seemingly small. Small little deal. A wrong thinking about, you know what? I can do this. Of course, the enemy lied. How many know it's still a lie today? And if something even small can, can, cause, can cause problems in our life. Now, we live in a day of grace. Thank God for that. But like I said earlier, God, is, God cares about grace, but he also cares about the other side too. We've got to deal with these things. Paul, I forget what's behind me, but I press on. I'm going to keep moving to the, not that I'm yet perfected, he said, but I'm pushing on. It was an apple. One little decision caused all humanity, all the problems we've had. One decision, an apple. I think, is it a big deal that I have my own way of doing things? It could be, Right? But then I think about tomorrow. I think about the future. When we get into heaven, do you think there's going to be, we're going to have like meetings with God where we discuss how things ought to be done? I've got a better idea. Let's have a committee on this is what the Lord wants to do. Let's talk. Let's see if we have a better plan. Is any of that going to exist? I mean, think about heaven. Are are there going to be debates in heaven? 
we, we won't discuss those things. Now, it's interesting. We'll still be free will agents. We could if we wanted to, but we will be aware of what happened when we don't, when we don't obey. But when you look at it, thanks for heaven, it's, it's, it's 100% holy committed. It's it is holy committed. It is 100% holy, all of you. I'm going to do, do exactly what he asked. And there's no greater honor than to do what he's asking me to do, what he's told me to do. It's the best thing going. Well, if, if, it, if the reality was in the beginning, one small little thing, selfish little thing, and in the end, there'll be none of that stuff. In fact, the thought is ridiculous that we would pick the apple. Why are we living that way now? Why is it okay to do that stuff now? Why is it okay to put our will above his now? Why is it okay to say, you know, this seems good to me. I'm going to do it. No, let's commit to God. I challenge you, commit, make, make, like Paul, make afresh. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the son of God. The life that I live in this flesh, I live it by faith in the son of God. I tell you, there's where success comes from. That's when, when, when people are wholly committed to him, I tell you, God, there's nothing God can't do. We position ourselves for that, that lifting, that, he, that exalting that he's promised. Amen? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your words this morning. We thank you for your word today. Father, we are thankful for all that you have done for us, all that you've done in our lives. Father, we are grateful. Father, we honor you. We bless you. Lord, we know that you, you do know the best. You do have the, the, you have the best way. You have it all figured out. Lord, forgive us for areas where we've been resistant to yield to you. Areas where we've promoted ourselves or, or propped ourselves up and said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to do it this way instead. Father, forgive us for that. You said that if we'd, we'd ask for forgiveness, you'd cleanse us. And so, Lord, we, we're thankful for that. But we also make a purpose not to continue in those things. Some of these areas are difficult. Some of these areas will be hard on the flesh to do. But, Father, I am thankful that you said in your word where we're weak, you're strong. That your grace is sufficient for us when we will humble ourselves to you. Father, I ask for grace in each of our lives to do what you've called us to do, to do the things that you've instructed us to do in your word. Priorities and, and, and things we honor and exalt and give ourselves to. Father, thank you for grace. Make those adjustments. Lord, we know that the, the end, in the end there's blessing. In the end there's benefit. Father, in the end there is wonderful provision that you have made for us. Father, we are thankful. Hallelujah. Father, we honor you. We thank you. We praise you. Father, you are good. Hallelujah. You do know best, Father. We thank you for it this morning. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.